Welcome to season one, episode 11 of Grace or Grit, a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I think today's topic might be difficult, not controversial or debatable for most people. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. Along with me today, as always, is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He is a pre-filled missionary with ABWE. He's on deputation trying, trying to get to the Gambia in Africa. He also serves on the pastoral staff here with me in Herlock. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. And then joining us today for our discussion is a gentleman whose mother, Miss Doris Dixon, has probably heard me preach more sermons than any other person uh, on the planet. Bless her heart. This is her son, Reverend. Mike Deesom, and also Mike's brother is my neighbor, lives just up the street, and his sister uh, and her family are very active at Grace Baptist Church and closely involved with our family, just doing life together. So we have a lot of, a lot of connections. Mike, welcome to Grace or Grit. Yeah, it's good to be here with you guys. So Mike, just tell us how you're doing and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, I'm living here in, on the, the Great Eastern Shore, about six miles away from the ocean with my beautiful wife, and uh, we, um, we're living on a property that we are trying to use for ministry for uh, pastors at risk of burnout, and uh, we've been able to bless a number of pastors uh, as a result of that. Uh, we also are uh, starting a, we've, we've planted a new church called Fathom Church. My son is the uh, is the lead pastor, and I'm an associate pastor with him. And um, it's uh, it's actually meeting here on our property uh, with COVID. The issues of COVID, we're we're actually meeting on the uh, on the on the lawn of the barn uh, as uh, weather permits. Uh, obviously, when the weather's bad, uh, we move it to the inside of the barn, and then we have to limit the amount of people that are able able to come. So these are some strange times we're living in, but um, you know we're we're doing all we can do to continue to spread the word of God with, with, uh, with the people in this community and, and uh, literally uh, really being blessed as a result of it. Amen. I know you're super excited to be working with family in ministry. That's just uh, such a joy, I'm sure. Yeah, we're actually getting our money back from all of the college tuition that we paid for with our daughter and our, and our son, uh, sent them both to Messiah. Uh, uh, he did ministerial studies and, and Aaron did graphic design. So we're kind of getting our money's worth back as a result of that. Amen to that. Well, today's topic uh, is dad or no dad, or perhaps we could call it fathered or fatherless. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right in here. In Psalm 10, the 10th Psalm, verse 14, I read these words, 
Lord, you watch for mischief and spite to requite it with your hand. The, the poor commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Uh, and there's so much that could be said about that. But uh, God being the helper of the fatherless and all of the attention that is given to uh, fatherhood and fatherlessness in the scripture is something that I think needs to be addressed, not just in our culture and society, but um, in our churches. In my case, I don't know what it's like to be fatherless. Um, but like I said, given the attention and the compassion that is demonstrated in the scripture to the fatherless and given the common statistics and even just common sense on the issue, fatherhood is certainly a big deal. So I look forward to speaking about this with you two men today. Um, I have recently heard more than one informed and influential person lay the bulk of the ills in our current society at the feet of fatherlessness um, rather than blaming a lack of money or a lack of education or you know racial problems or political problems or international conflict uh, simply saying if if we had fathers in the homes being uh, what they're supposed to be then you know a great list of the problems that we're facing either wouldn't exist or would be easy to handle. Um, and I'm no expert, but it just really resonated in my heart, you know, when I heard uh, these influential people say these things. Um, of course, there could be something worse than not having a father. I'm speaking hypothetically, not experientially. Uh, but having an evil and or abusive father certainly would seem to me to be an indescribable tragedy and that's what brings me to you i read what you wrote on social media back on june the 15th and uh, i don't plan on reading that we certainly could you could i could but it was a powerful statement and it prompted me to reach out to you with an invitation to to come on to grace or grit and open up on this matter uh, more with me and hopefully with our listeners we can be help to some people today. There, there's a lot of things that I would love to hear you speak about or love, love to hear somebody, anybody uh, speak about and address just some terms and issues to uh, open up a can of worms for us all to think about today. Uh, we're familiar with the term deadbeat dad. Uh, I looked it up yesterday and you know this, we're not going to talk about necessarily the, the gender issues of our day a lot today, but uh, even the definition of deadbeat dad has been skewed and adjusted. Of course, when we talk about fathers who are absent altogether, uh, they might be officially and publicly a part of the family's life, but many fathers are not involved with their own children. Um, you can talk about father figures. Certainly, there's great value in someone uh, kind of being a surrogate, I guess is the right term, and stepping in and filling a gap where it needs to be. Uh, filled abusive fathers, as I mentioned. Uh, in my family, we we have the issue of biological father, uh, stepfather, you know, active father. Um, with my wife uh, and her situation, so that's that's an issue worth talking about. Uh, you mentioned in your post about your father-in-law and how God used your father-in-law 
in your life. Certainly God as our father. And then I mentioned fatherlessness. So we need more than an hour <laughs> to get into, you know, to some of these issues, I'm sure. But I trust that God will give us um, the direction we need. So, but before I give the, the, the mic to Mike, um, Patrick, maybe you and I could give a brief overview of our experience personally with fatherhood. If you want to go first, uh, at least we have a context from where our perspectives, you know, are arising. Sure. Well, I, uh, I read, uh, uh, Mike's, uh, experience and then I thought about my own and I was like, well, my childhood was pretty uneventful compared to Mike's. And, uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, I was raised in a good home and had a good father and good mother and there wasn't any real drama or excitement or, you know, just kind of a, I guess I would call it a normal childhood, but you know, the more I hear other people's stories and the things that are kind of the way our culture is going, maybe my experience is not so normal. Maybe it's actually more towards the unusual side to have a uneventful childhood nowadays. But I definitely think, um, I think that has an, a, a large impact on people's lives growing up and, you know, their opportunities and the, um, the things that they're able to do or not able to do and emotionally how it affects you. And there's just a, a wide range of, um, of implications of fathers who aren't there or who are abusive or who are not good fathers, how we would define maybe what a good father is. And maybe we'll get into the, what the biblical definition of a good father is. But um, from, from my experience, it's hard for me to understand what a lot of folks have gone through not having a father or having a, a, a very horrible father and how that affects them. So I'm definitely interested to, to hear that. Maybe that'll also help our listeners and myself uh, be able to help minister to folks that uh, have gone through those types of experiences. Good. And we rejoice. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a place for us looking at the design that God clearly put forth in nature and in, a, and in the scripture. And when we hear a testimony of someone saying, yeah, that's, that's kind of has been my experience, the way God designed it, it's kind of the way it happened for me. <laughs> we rejoice, you know, we celebrate. Uh, and maybe later in the broadcast, we can talk about your role as a father as well. And me and Mike, you know, we all are fathers ourselves. We have children. And so um, that's certainly where the rubber meets the road and uh, something that we can all have an impact on immediately. I can't change. You can't change. Mike can't change what our past experience was, but we can certainly learn from it and and uh, be better for it. So my father had eight children. Uh, Arthur Talley Jr., that's my father. He's still living and uh, still working. He works for my little brother down on a farm in, in Alabama selling produce, and um, he's retired. I admire my father intensely. Uh, I also had a uh, tremendous experience growing up uh, with a father who was noble, who was a hard worker, who loved his children, who loved God, who modeled uh, so much about morality and good behavior that uh, I, I just, you know, I, 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 like you, Patrick, I have so much to be grateful for when I think about what not only Mike, but what others have gone through. And I know uh, Patrick worked uh, 
with a kids club. Um, I've forgotten what you call it now, but for a while he was, I think, executive director over in the uh, Baltimore area, somewhere up in there. And so, you know, you, you're probably, uh, you know, even more aware than I am of the impact of uh, father's fatherlessness, you know, on culture and society. But, uh, and you've seen it maybe more than I have, but uh, my dad is, is a good godly man. He's not perfect. No man's perfect, but he set a great example. And, and I don't struggle to honor my father. Uh, I don't have to twist stories and hide things in order to honor my father. I can honor him just by being honest about him. And I love him dearly. And when I talk to him on the phone, neither one of us are good on the phone, but when, when we talk on the phone, it's, it's a precious and a memorable time each time that we converse. And so I, I too rejoice, you know, in the experience that God has given to me. I did have an experience. I, I want Mike to take a turn, kind of open up about his experience for our listeners. But uh, about six years ago, I think it was, we had career day here in Herlock. And uh, so the students were supposed to invite their parents to come in and do a presentation to their class on what they do for a living. And so I was able to set up a little booth and, and they would bring the classes around. Actually, all the classes came in groups and I would have like 15 minutes with each class. And um, there was something, something that happened that really dug deep into my heart and, and pained me and has echoed in my mind ever since. With every group, at some point, I would ask, so what does your daddy do? Now, I come from a, a fairly patriarchal culture. So what does your mom do doesn't naturally come out of my mind because the moms that I'm familiar with from my childhood, most of them were homemakers. And so it was an assumption. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's the, the paradigm that I see the world through. So I'm explaining why I, I didn't ask, what does your mommy do or what do your parents do? I was saying, what does your dad do? Because I'm a dad, and that was my experience growing up. So I would ask him, so tell me, what does your daddy do for a living? Where does your daddy work? And I had quite a few kids who said, I don't have a daddy. And I had even more kids who said, and this was even more horrific to me, my dad doesn't do anything. And that's just indicative of where we are in our culture and our society. So I think that's probably a good springboard, Mike, for you to tell us your story and uh, help us to understand why I've invited you here to talk about this. Sure. And I appreciate the opportunity for you allowing me to do this. I, I, um, I like to share my testimony uh, for the purpose of giving hope uh, to people that, um, that perhaps, perhaps have lived it to show that, um, uh, even though we do have lack of examples sometimes as children growing up that, um, as scripture says, you, you mentioned one verse and I know Psalm 68, uh, five says that, uh, that God is the father of the fatherless. Um, and fortunately I, I was able to grow up and, uh, even though the abusive home that I lived in, one of the things that, uh, oddly enough that he required was that we go to church which was probably my saving grace. Uh, it was a, actually it was the Holy, Holiness Wesleyan Church right there in Herlock, Maryland. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still open or exists, but uh, it was right there on the 
on the corner of the blinking lights. But uh, we went there, and uh, fortunately, the Lord was able to do his work in me uh, during that time and continue to do so. So um, it's pretty hard for a child to understand, though, that, um, that God is his father, you know, both doctrinally and emotionally at that, at that age point. But uh, uh, once I got older, I, I clearly understood that even in the midst of the things that I had to endure, um, I was never left without a father because um, we all have a heavenly father that is available to us. Um, the reason that, um, that, as you guys have mentioned, it brought me to this point to be able to talk with you guys is because um, I had the opportunity, or actually two men had the opportunity uh, to be a father to me and to my siblings in my lifetime. One was our biological father, obviously all fathers who um, are participate in bringing about a child about have the opportunity to be the father of the child that they, that they produce. Um, and that particular man decided or chose that uh, alcohol was more important to him than a relationship with his, with his children. Um, you know, we all, we all make decisions and apart from Christ, uh, people can end up making bad decisions. And, uh, I would say his decision making process was not in keeping with what the Lord wanted for him. And, and as a result, uh, it led to divorce. And, uh, but you would think even in the midst of divorce that he would desire to have at least some relationship with his children. And, um, I can say this without, without question. Um, I, I only met my father, my biological father, twice in my lifetime. Um, once when I was uh, 17 years old, he came back oddly for some, for some reason, I, I don't know what, for, for just a, a visit for one day. And uh, literally, it's like meeting a stranger because I had no communication with him for 17 years. I mean, I knew he existed, but uh, we, we, we literally said no words to each other for 17 years. Um, so it's kind of odd having a guy come up to you and, and, you know, tell you that, you know, they're your dad, but you have no relationship with them. Um, the, the other guy who had the opportunity to be uh, a father to myself and, and my siblings um, was a, a guy who, who was our stepfather for a, a decade in my life, from the ages of five to 15. Um, and in that decade, he was as uh, abusive of his authority in our family as as um, any, any person could be. Um, he literally abused m m my, my siblings and myself in, in every way that abuse is available. Um, we grew up on a farm, and uh, when it came time that uh, he would uh, want to beat one of us for, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I know there are times when children do things that deserve corporal punishment, and I'll get into that. I, I'm not... I'm not opposed to corporal punishment, oddly enough, even after all the abuse that I experienced, um, because I think the Lord, the Bible teaches that, and I think it has its place. Um, it's the manner in which it's, it's administered is, is the main thing. Um, but this guy, he, he just administered it because it, it, it's just literally, it's what he wanted to do. Or it, 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 and I guess in some respects, it even brought him joy. Um, but when you grow up on a farm, there's no lack of things that you can grab to, uh, to spank your child with. and um, uh, I did a sermon recently to try to explain how abusive uh, parents can be or, or fathers can be with their authority. Uh, I recall when I was a kid that um, whenever I was going to get spanked, um, what I would do is I would count in my mind the times that I was being being hit uh, 
for two reasons. One, it took my mind off the pain of what I was receiving. And two, I knew that when I got around uh, 22, 25, 30, that he would be getting tired and that the, uh, the spanking would be coming to an end. So uh, that, that's kind of what I, what I grew up with. Um, and in all honesty, I think um, I was probably uh, the more blessed of, the, of, of my siblings because I literally think my brother was probably beat every day of his childhood. And uh, so with respect to the experiences that I have of fatherhood, um, I have one who totally abdicated his authority, um, didn't see it wor worthy of something to, uh, to use or to, to raise up his children in any way. Um, and then I have a second example of one who completely abused his authority. And, um, you know, it, it strikes me that uh, when we get to uh, the New Testament, Paul is he's giving out instructions to uh, different family members, those who are supposed to submit and those who have authority in the way they're supposed to use that authority. And when he gets to dads, he says, fathers, um, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the fear or discipline and admonition of the Lord. And uh, he sums up, basically, that's what he says. That, that's all, that's all um, dads have to do is, is raise their children in a way that, one, they don't provoke them to anger. And I have this one example that, that literally that's all that, that he did um, in, in, the, in the days that I grew up with him. Every day was waking up and a, a day of deciding to pro provoke uh, his children to anger. And then the, the second part of that is to raise them up in the, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Well, that takes time. That takes being involved with your, your kids and being a part of their lives. And, and uh, you know, second, or my, my biological father, the first example of fatherhood, um, he, did, he didn't take any of that time to do any of that. So um, sometimes I guess maybe you can learn from even bad examples. And, uh, and I learned from that. Uh, but I have to say that in growing up, there were times where I, uh, I had thoughts in my mind, what was wrong with us so much so that uh, my biological father didn't want to be a part of our lives? And then when it came to my stepfather, my thoughts, was, my thoughts were, um, you know, what is it about us that makes this guy want to respond to us in this way all the time? And, um, you know, that can cause, that can cause some emotional issues. It can cause some, uh, really some, what I call stinking thinking. Um, and those were things that I had to overcome as I got older, uh, uh in life. I, I had to, I had to take those examples that God had placed in front of me and I literally cried out to God and said, uh, I can remember praying as, as a child one time on the farm, going out to, uh, to get the cows in so that we could bring them in the milk. I remember praying, God, is it, is it always going to be this way? And, um, uh, you know, the Lord, I, 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 I leaned on him and I depended on him at a very young age to deliver me from this. And uh, the Lord answered my prayers uh, by eventually putting some people in my life, as I mentioned in that post, um, uh, I really had a, an older brother who, who absolutely loved me, and he spent his life as much as he could as a as a child that was enduring what I was enduring as well uh, to try to show me that he's there and, and that we'll protect each other. Um, and then I later know uh, uh, the man who became my father-in-law. Uh, I began to see 
as a as I was dating um, his daughter, that a father can have authority and demonstrate a true, genuine love for his children at the same time. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord put uh, my father-in-law in my path, uh, because without him, without his example, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wrestled with what fatherhood was all about up to that point, and it was a blessing to have that. Um, so that's that's basically what I experienced in in my youth uh, with respect to fatherhood, and uh, you know I think as you mentioned when you went to the schools to see that um, the children were saying I don't have a dad or my dad does nothing. Um, I do agree with your assessment earlier that the biggest problem that our culture our society is facing today is fatherless homes. Um, it's not the it's not the pandemic of COVID or the pandemic of drug abuse. It's the pandemic that dads aren't in their homes uh, raising their children in godly ways. Uh, actually, even apart from godly ways, they're not even taking up the, the, uh, the secular responsibilities of fatherhood in the home. Uh, and that being the case, you know, I think God uh, structured family from the very beginning. In the beginning, he, he, the, the first the first uh, link to society that he structured was uh, a husband and a wife, and then later came children. And society just continues to seemingly want to break those things down. And uh, fathers are all too willing to be uh, uh, to jump on board and to do that by shirking their responsibilities or abusing the authority that God has given them. So that's kind of where my experience was as as, as a youth, and I can and maybe get into it a little bit later about the, the decisions that I made uh, prior to becoming a dad in, in the way that I was going to change. I was going to break that link with me. Hmm. I was going to make sure that going forward, um, this would not happen because I, I remember as a child hearing uh, a lot of statistics that say, you know, if you grow up being abused, chances are you're going to end up being an abuser. Um, I think a lot of those people don't know the, uh, the effects of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. Uh, but for the grace of God, uh, you know, I, I could have been that. And because of the grace of God, I was able to break that chain in, in our family's experience. Amen to that. I, I've heard people talk about a generational curse. Um, <laughs> you know, Adam sinned and cursed all generations. And certainly we find in the scriptures, God, you know, punishing the Amalekites for the sins of their fathers and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, God's grace through Christ bringing an end to Satan's grip on a family or on a um, you know a bloodline is uh, is something worth celebrating as well. So even something not just to celebrate in Patrick's history and mine, but even in your story, something to celebrate how God has worked. Let let me ask you a couple of hard questions, and I want to give Patrick a chance to do this as well. Uh, and I don't know. I can't anticipate your answer. I mean, I I can hope, but I just want you to be transparent uh, with me. You say concerning your biological father and your stepfather, both horrible experiences that we wouldn't wish on anyone. I have to ask, have you healed? Yeah. So often I think about, is there some, is there some part of my upbringing that still affects me today? I certainly don't think it's a part. Maybe maybe it shapes who I am with respect to um, how how I'm an introvert. 
um, because basically I grew up that with particularly under my stepfather, I grew up knowing that you don't say anything because saying and saying something actually could incur the wrath of him, you know, just breaking out and, and, uh, and going into a, a fit of rage. Um, so I, I grew up being uh, as quiet as a mouse to try to try to avoid that. Um, so maybe that's, that played an effect on uh, developing my personality um, with respect to bitterness or anything like that. I had a, I had an incredible grace awakening um, when I was in college preparing to be a pastor. Um, I did a, I was actually going to school full time and I was working UPS in the evening in order to meet the tuition. So I was sleeping about four or five hours a day, if that, um, in order to make ends meet. And I remember going to bed one night and I, and I, I got grabbed my, my Bible to, to uh, read my devotions. And um, I read in Ephesians where it says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And, um, and I, I said, that's a, that's a great verse to go to sleep on. And I, and I just, you know, thank the Lord for it. And I, and I laid my head down and the Lord wouldn't let me sleep. And, uh, I, I'm, I was getting kind of, uh, you know, a little bit upset because I knew I only, <laughs> I could only get like three hours sleep and I had to get up to go to work. Uh, and I'm like, Lord, why won't you let me go to sleep on this? And he, he just kept saying, have you forgiven as I've forgiven you? And uh, I said, Lord, there is nobody in my heart that I'm, you know, that I, 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 have, I need to go and tell them they're forgiven. And, and he, he, and basically what he asked, um, the question that came before me is that if I were to step in front of my step, the man who was my stepfather, um, would I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him as someone that I wanted to see make it to heaven instead of hell? Hmm. And uh, it was like he put a mirror up in front of me in, in the bitterness that I had hidden in my heart because I couldn't answer yes to that question honestly. And, uh, and I knew that wasn't the right place to be. And I wrestled with him for another, another hour or so. And the Lord literally just took that bitterness away from me. And it was like a burden lifted off my shoulders that to that point, I didn't even know that I had. And I knew by the time I went to sleep that night, I actually called my wife in the room and I told her what was going on. And, and we were in tears. And I said, I said to her, I said, I, I got to get a hold of him. And I got to let him know that even though uh, he didn't necessarily raise me the way that I think God would allow him to, or wanted him to raise me, that, that I forgave him. Uh, even though he wasn't seeking it, I was giving it. And uh, I literally had this burning desire to do that. And I, when I actually pursued it, I found out that, that he had passed um, without me being able to do that. But um, with respect to healing, uh, the healing came when I was willing to give up that bitterness that I, that I had in me, you know, uh, that, what they, what they always say about bitterness. It's like, um, you know, wanting to hurt somebody else and taking poison to, to see it happen. Right. Uh, so that's what I, that's what I did. Um, and I feel like healing has occurred. Uh, but I can't say that it, it hasn't been without effect in my life that the Holy spirit is still working on me, you know, to, to change as I, as I um, try to submit to him. Amen. So we can heal, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a scar. And doesn't mean that, you know, that we'll have, uh, if I smashed my hand, you know, in a, in a 
a press or something and a roller and it was crushed and mangled. There's great medicine these days, you know, great doctors, perhaps they could put things back together and I could heal. I might never have the strength or use that I, I had before. Uh, I might, I might never look at my hand without remembering that injury, but it doesn't mean that I, that I can't heal and have health. And, uh, so just as, as a father, I want to be motivated not to leave injuries in my children to where, even if we have a good relationship and, and they heal that there's scars, I don't want to scar my own children. That's what I'm saying. And, uh, certainly that should be motive motivation. How about this? What are your feelings toward people? Another hard question. What are your feelings toward people like Patrick and I who had really good experiences with our fathers? Do you wrestle with that? Does that trouble you? Um, oddly enough, it doesn't bother me at all. I, 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 in fact, even growing up, I, I, I don't want to say that I envied them. Uh, I guess I kind of admired it that that, that can exist, you know, that a father can uh, can grab the responsibilities and use the authority that God's given them in their family in a way that they're doing it properly. I, when, when I think about this, I think the, the role that God has given for fathers is because we, we can't necessarily, you know, our, our decision to follow Christ has got to be a personal decision. No father can make or puts, brings, bring their kid into the kingdom on their own uh, merit or, or, or doing it themselves. They, but the only thing that they can do though is to be an influence in that child's life as much as possible to not only reflect, but also to introduce them to the God that they serve. In fact, that's what I think Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema passage is all about when he tells uh, the fathers to, um, to, to talk about the, those laws that he had given them and to, uh, you know, to write them on their hearts and, to, uh, on, and on the fronts of their foreheads. Uh, I think what he's saying is, I want, I want your life with me to be such an example that, that when you walk and talk with your children, they have no other recourse but to understand or to know more about me. And uh, that's really what my goal was uh, when I became a father. Uh, I, the, the weight of that responsibility literally struck me. And I, really what I think what God desires for dads to do is to be Christ-like in front of their children. To, to, get, to show them the, the demonstration or the example of a godly father to them, like you said earlier, albeit imperfect as it is, uh, but to do our best so that the child grows up understanding what the father in heaven is like by virtue of the relationship of the father on earth that they lived with. And uh, I hope in, in the course of my walk with my children uh, that I did that in a way that I demonstrated our father in heaven is a father of authority. Uh, he's a father that can uh, that can bring correction and can bring rebuke, but he never does it outside of loving us. Uh, that's first and foremost. You know, he's a he's a father that that has wrath, but it's always mixed with mercy and love. And um, and I think that's the most important thing that we can do is to introduce our our children to our to our father uh, that we serve. A lot of a lot of dads, I think that particularly dads who don't have a relationship with the Lord, they have a lot of other things that pop up that are, that are important to them, be it sports or education. And, you know, they're being good dads by doing the best they can with their children in, 
in raising them up in that. But um, I think when all is said and done, as the scripture tells us, um, what does it profit a man that if he gains the whole world and in the end, uh, you know, loses his soul? There are good dads out there that I think are doing their best, but I think ultimately we, we haven't completed what God has designed for us to do unless we introduce our kids uh, to the father that we serve. Um, but getting back to your original question, when it came to meeting people who were, who had good dads, um, uh, I, I don't think there was any ill feeling or, you know, I, 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 in all, all honesty, I, I admired it. Amen. Amen. One more thing, and and then I'll let Patrick jump in if he likes. You you said something about this feeling you had. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us that that my dad would not want to be a part of my life? And then later on, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us as children? What are we doing? What is it about us that causes our stepdad to despise us so and to treat us so harshly? I have seen that not just in father-son relationships uh, and father-daughter relationships, but in all kinds of hierarchical relationships where when somebody is in authority and they abuse that authority, it has this strange, twisted impact on the people under them. Rather than recognizing the evil in their leader, many people blame themselves and assume that they're the problem. And I just want, you know, the fathers who listen to this to recognize the extreme danger of abusing your position in the life of your child. Uh, You can warp their whole perception of who God made them to be. And um, so I don't know if you want to add to that or speak to that, but uh, I've just, even, even with my limited knowledge and expertise, I have seen that quality over and over again. And it's, it, you, you want to take the child and just hold them and say, it's not you. You're not the problem. You know, your, your father did this to you or, or whatever, whatever else. Sometimes it's another authority figure. Um, but helping someone to get past that and move beyond that is a, is a massive challenge. Uh, and, and you said, you know, your personality, even to this day, perhaps is impacted by that experience. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime we receive rebuke, like you said, from any authority, the first question in our, well, at least it is for me, even to this day, the first question in my mind is, should I be getting this rebuke? Okay, is it, um, is there merit to what they're doing or how they're responding to me and have to evaluate that and find out, okay, what could I do differently? Um, uh, in, in some respects, though, as, as a child, in the ways that I was being treated by a stepfather and, and in the fact that my biological father just had nothing to do with us. I mean, literally, um, I can't perceive treating a child that way. Uh, so you have to ask the question, what would bring about such a response in a person? And, and it probably didn't, it, it takes a little bit of a maturity to get to the point to understand that uh, not everybody uses the authority that that's been granted to them in a in a righteous way, and maybe their response is not a righteous response. And uh, I think until we get to that point, that maturity to say, you know, there's really there's really nothing you could have done different that would have changed them. It would have have taken, um, you know, God changing their heart 
in order for them to change the way they responded to you. And I, I, I think I've clearly seen that. It, it, would have, it literally t- would have taken uh, God changing both the heart of my father and my stepfather in order for one, for him to care and for my stepfather to not abuse the authority that he'd been given. Um, so yeah, uh, I do think that's, Thinking, thinking was something that I had to work through, um, but I think by the power of the Holy Spirit and by by you know reading scriptures, I found out that sometimes people abuse their authority, and that's just uh, the way it is. And you've got to move on. You, you got to learn from other people's bad uh, modeling. Sure, Patrick. Anything on your mind that you wanted to bring into the conversation here? Yeah, so I have a, a question for you, Mike. Maybe this is a, a hard question, uh, but maybe you've uh, faced it with other folks. Um, being a pastor yourself, you know, maybe there's people that are listening to this podcast that might need to hear this. Folks that maybe are in uh, the situation that that you grew up in. Maybe there's uh, some kids who, um, you know, are teenagers now and are are going through this same. Uh, same circumstances and they got this passed along to them or maybe uh maybe it's the mother um it gets passed along to or maybe it's the father who's uh doing these things it gets passed along to what would be you know your suggestion your advice to to those folks that maybe would be listening to this and are dealing with um a situation where the the father is being abusive or um uh, you know, beating their children in ways that are not biblical and, um, you know, or as a, a deadbeat dad or what, whatever the case may be, what, you know, from your experience, what would be your, um, your advice to, to those folks? Um, I, if, if a family is living in that situation, um, I, I certainly think any mom should remove their children from a situation where they're being physically or or emotionally or even sexually abused uh, without question. Uh, I know God hates divorce, but that doesn't mean separation is not something that is acceptable from time to time in order to prevent this kind of uh, abuse from going on. Um, I would, uh, so I would clearly say any woman that's in that situation needs to remove her children from that. Um, I think scripture tells us clearly um, Ephesians 6 1 tells children to obey their parents in the Lord. And uh, a lot of people like to read that and say, well, that means obey your parents if they're believers. Uh, but I don't think that's what that means. I think what it means is obey your parents um, in keeping with your relationship with the Lord. So uh, I, I'm, as, a, as a Christian child, I'm to be obedient to my parents in a way that brings honor to them. Um, as long as what they're asking me to do or what our, what their, uh, the response is supposed to be in keeping with what the Lord would have me do. Um, you know, there's always, we have these authorities that are over us, but there's always one overarching authority that is above everything. And that's our authority, the authority of Christ. Um, and as, uh, as Romans tells us, we're to live, we're to live lives, uh, worthy of our calling. Um, you know, we have to, we have to put that Christian, adjective before everything. Uh, so a child in that situation, I think, needs to be obedient to the point where they're not breaking uh, God's laws and to be as respectful as possible. Doesn't mean you always agree with what's going on, but God will bless 
your obedience to him in that way. I remember in uh, growing up with my stepfather uh, that I would go to school and uh, <clears throat> they would give you grades as to whether you dressed for the gym, gym class. You had to get, you had to change out of your day clothes and get into a gym suit, you know, and, and uh, I remember going into the locker rooms and, and I would be embarrassed by the fact that I would have these strap marks from where I'd been whipped, bruise, bruises all up and down my legs. And I didn't want to expose that. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fully change. I wouldn't get dressed for gym. Uh, one, because it was an embarrassment to me. And two, I just didn't want people to see, you know, what was going on uh, behind the scenes, so to speak. Uh, and as a result of that, even though I was, you know, pretty good at gym, I, I wasn't, you know, a super athlete, but I wasn't, I wasn't without any, you know, athletic skills. Um, but you never could get a good grade if you didn't dress. And uh, I remember would bringing home a report card, and it would, fit, you know, I'd always get maybe a C in uh, physical education, basically because I didn't dress for gym because I was trying to hide these strap marks, and and uh, and end up getting beat for not getting a better grade in physical education. So that that's kind of the, you know, that was kind of the struggles that I was going through. But at the whole time, when I think about it, what I was doing was trying to protect the situation that was going on at home. And um, maybe as a child, that was the wrong thing to do. But, you know, as a child, I, I don't think that was a decision that should have been placed on me. Uh, but that's just kind of the way it happened. Going back to with, with how you would respond, I respond to the respect of the authority that God says is above me. It's almost like, um, how do I respond to a president who perhaps I don't agree with the decisions that he makes, okay? I honor his position and give respect to his position. And when it happens to be one that's not agreeing with me politically, I pray that the Lord would change his heart. Uh, I think it's very similar to what we would do in a situation with a parent that's, that's um, not being the parent that they should be. Honor the position, be obedient to the, to the position, and pray that God would change the heart of the person so that they would be more in keeping with the, with the responsibilities that God gave them. It's amazing how people are willing to endure familiar pain rather than to take an unfamiliar path to escape the pain. It's whether it's battered women or abused children. Uh, you, you didn't know what would happen if, uh, if you were to reveal those stripes, you couldn't see how you would handle that. You know, what, what would this end up being? What would it turn out? Would it make matters worse? You didn't know. And so you just endured the familiar pain. It's, so, it's such a strange reality, but it's, again, common experience. Uh, we had one know. sister uh, who was removed from the home and put into foster care because it was implied that there was a lack of obedience there. Really, she was put in foster care because there was abuse going on with the stepfather. And my biggest fear was if I had revealed the things that were going on, what would happen was they would separate the rest of us. And uh, you're, you're right. As far as enduring the familial pain was, I didn't want to be separated from my other sister or my brother. And um, I, I was concerned that would take place. So I was willing to endure what needed to be in order to make that, to give that cohesiveness to the, to the family that I loved. Mm. So that's one of the questions that I had on my mind and heart about all this. How does a person honor a father who is not honorable? <laughs> you know, one of the commandments is honor your father and your mother. Of course, 
graciously, God has given us another passage that says, give honor to whom honors do. So we compare scripture with scripture. But how does a child honor a father that is not behaving honorably? Is there an answer for that? I don't know if either one of you guys could help me with that. I think obedience is certainly part of it. As I said, I, I, you know, wives are told to submit to their husbands, even to non-believing husbands, in the same manner, as long as they're not telling them to do something that goes against the Lord's, the Lord's will. And in doing so, that they're a testimony to their, uh, to their husbands and possibly could win them over. Um, I think the same could happen with children. Uh, their obedience certainly is a testimony. And I also think ultimately the Lord will bless them for their obedience uh, in doing that. So basically straight up obedience is one way of honoring. I think another way of honoring is, is certainly not uh, belittling the, the things that they do that may be praiseworthy. You know, even though my stepfather was extremely abusive and, and uh, genuinely an evil person, um, he did provide for the family. Um, he did work. We worked with him. We grew up on a farm. So whenever he worked, we worked. Uh, but ultimately, it did put food on the table, and those are things I could be thankful for. I can't say I ever went without with, without eating, unless that was one of the punishments that you know we we went to bed without without eating supper or whatever. But he did provide. So uh, the things that are praiseworthy, I think we need to go ahead and acknowledge that they are praiseworthy, and then you know understand that grace is needed for all of us, and by virtue of that, I guess we honor them just simply by praying for them. And I think another way, and maybe this happens as, as uh, we get older and leave the home, if we still have dishonorable parents, it may simply mean that we don't necessarily be around them as much. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't expose my children to the continued dishonor or you know, abuse of a, of a parent. I would be willing to talk with them whenever they want to talk, but I wouldn't necessarily continue living life in the stress and, a, and the drama of the abuse just for the sake of you know, maintaining relationship. Yeah. And, and the truth is in that case, you're really honoring the position. They're abusing the position. And so you're honoring the position by not exposing their dishonorable behavior and allowing it to influence others. It's, it's strange how these truths can come through. I want us to close uh, and we, man, maybe we should do a whole new, another episode sometime on this. And this has been emotionally, uh, very intense for me hearing your experience. My, my heart breaks for you. I know that's not why you're saying what you're saying. You want to help people, but my heart breaks for you as a child going through what you went through. But let's move to a positive and applicable conclusion here. Uh, what are your aspirations as a father? How, how do you define today being a good father, Patrick, to your small children and a teenager now? You know, I have a couple teenagers and a couple adults uh, and, of course, grandchildren as well. Uh, why don't we just each take a turn? Kind of what is what is your vision of fatherhood today and moving forward? How do you uh, do what God has called you to do as a father? What are some salient points of fatherhood for you? Well, I think raising them, raising them up to... Um, be obedient to God's word uh, is probably our, my first and foremost responsibility, I think, as a father, being an encouragement to them, and at the same time, balancing, balancing that with proper discipline. Uh, I always find that a challenge to figure out, you know, 
when to apply discipline, how much discipline to apply. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's any anything that any of us do perfectly, but always trying to be cautious not to, as we've talked about, to abuse that authority in any way. So trying to find the proper balance. Uh, and you know, one of the things I think I've found as a father is not every child is the same either. You know, I have three children. Um, and so, you know, the way I might uh, deal with my oldest daughter, Alyssa, is really going to be a lot different than I'm going to deal with Danielle, uh, who's the middle daughter, who have completely different personalities and, you know, really act in completely different ways. And, and then you have my youngest, Luke, who, you know, is totally different from both of them. And so trying to encourage each one of those in the way that, you know, is most beneficial to them and their personalities, I think is something uh, that, that we have to look at as parents. But, you know, also I think trying to be a, trying to show as best we can a godly example and being as Christ-like as we possibly can and showing that because children certainly, they see what you do, they watch what you do, even when you don't think they're watching what you're doing, they're watching what you're doing. And sometimes just what you do or what you don't do is far more important than the things that you say to them. Um, you know, I, I remember, <laughs> in fact, my wife and I were just talking about this last night. It's, of course, a bad example, but those are usually the ones that children seem to see. At least it seems like for me, every time I do something wrong, that's what they go and emulate right away. We were, this was a long time ago. We only had Alyssa at the time, and uh, um, we were in the car, and I think we were getting close to getting home, and I don't know, somebody cut me off or something like that. I don't know, something happened, and I ended up cursing, and the next thing I know, my daughter's back there repeats like three times in a row what I just said <laughs> and I couldn't believe it I'm like oh my god and my wife's like don't say anything don't you know we don't want to make a big deal out of it so that she doesn't keep saying this over and over again <laughs> and, but I remember that was a, a big lesson for me uh, to be very careful about what I said <laughs> and what I did because you know children they'll just they emulate everything that you do and so uh, just being that example to them I think uh, is probably one of the most important things we can do, but specifically making sure that we're you know, being an example that's the example of Christ and the example that he gave to us, you know. And so I think for me, it's very important to be in the scriptures and studying God's word and reading God's word so that I know what example I am to be to my children. And yeah, you know, I'm going to fail at that many, many times, but you know, trying to do that to the best of my ability as a father, um, you know, I think is, is how we should be raising our children. So that example concept is huge. That's, that's one of the things I had written down here and passion is the key there. You know, the, the kid repeats a curse word because there's an, a unique passion all of a sudden in dad's voice, right? That they maybe haven't seen with other words. And so kids know what we're passionate about. They know what we care about intuitively. Uh, even if they can't describe it, they know it. And you're right. Uh, they'll, they'll follow that example. Train up a child in the way you should go. You know, focus on that word train, right? That's for me. I'm saying uh, I'm the engine here and they're attached. And wherever I go, you know, they're going to they're gonna be following. 
So I heard somebody years ago say the best way for me to be a good father is to be a good husband. The best thing I can do for my children is love my wife well. And uh, I bought into that and I, I have striven uh, and am striving and want to strive to love my wife well in the presence of my children. Uh, I believe that's one of the best things I can do as a father. Certainly, uh, honesty, transparency, consistency are huge things. Uh, I don't want to have to pretend and put on. I want to be real in front of them in a way that that I want them to grow up and, and behave like that, you know. Uh, and so I think those are really key words, consistency, honesty, transparency. And then the other word that I would use to describe my aspirations, my vision of fatherhood is attention. Uh, there was a phrase when I was a kid that I heard a lot. Children are supposed to be seen and not heard. <laughs> I heard it from preachers. I heard it from my own father. And it was sometimes said humorously, but not altogether. And sometimes it was said properly because you needed to know your place. You know, it's an adult conversation and, and you're a child and it's not your turn to interrupt. You need to sit quietly and listen. So there, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but I need to pay attention to my children. I need to know my children. I need to know what they're thinking. You know, you hear these stories of, you know, children who commit suicide or who are doing drugs or, you know, they have a baby and the parents were not even aware, you know, and I'm not trying to condemn any parent. I'm just saying, I don't want to be that parent. If there's a nuance in my child's behavior, I ought to pick up on it immediately. I want to be that aware of what's going on in my children's life and paying attention when they have something to say, listening, taking it in, even if I totally disagree or if it's totally, totally crazy, you know, allowing them to express what they're thinking so I can then maybe ask the right questions and give the right direction. I remember my eldest daughter told me she wanted to play football. She was into all kinds of feminism and stuff when she was a young teenager. And, uh, you know, rather than just dismissing that and saying, oh, that's stupid, you know, well, I need to know why she's thinking that, right? And I'm not saying I did a good job handling that particular situation, but paying attention to our children, I think, is huge. So, Mike, what do you think? Um, I, I certainly agree with, with both what you have said. Uh, I think clearly we've seen in life that a lot more is caught than taught. Kids will emulate what they see. And uh, even though we need to put that effort into teaching, uh, the, the, the best way of instructing a child is to live it out in front of them. And uh, I, I think of the other sayings that I've heard uh, from growing up as well, do as I say, not as I, or not as I do. Um, that, that, that just blows my mind because that's, that's basically telling your kid, I'm allowed to be a hypocrite and you just do what I'm telling you to do, you know? And, and that's just not, not the right way to go. Like you said, the transparency has got to be there. Um, you got to be, you got to be consistent and you got to be living it out in front of them. And you also got to reveal to them, uh, Hey, I'm not your heavenly father. I'm your earthly father. And I'm a, I'm a human like you and I'm going to make mistakes. But when you make those mistakes, uh, you own them. And then you, you know, you explain what you did, did wrong to your kid and, and you uh, make it right. I, I remember when uh, Dawn and I would have, goes back to what you said about loving, loving the mom is a, is a number one thing too. Dawn and I would have arguments. <clears throat> Surprisingly enough, it was while I was at college preparing to be a pastor it seemed like the, were the most troubling times of our marriage. Um, of course, there's a lot of stress there with working full time and going to school at the same time too. But uh, we would have these arguments that would that would be you know 
pretty loud. And um, sometimes would, words would come out that shouldn't have come out. You know, we, we'd lose our sanctified language in the midst of those. And, uh, and then ultimately, you know, the Lord would prevail in our hearts and we would make up. And we made it an effort every time we did that to go into the room and get the kids because they were in the house when we were having the arguments. We went to get the kids and we brought them together with us. And we, and we told them every time we said, look, mom and dad had this, obviously we had this argument. You heard it, but we want you to know this. We love, we love you. And uh, we love each other and we love the Lord. And that's why we've been able to get through this. And I think that offered a sense of security for our kids to not have those same questions that I grew up with. And that is, have I done something wrong that's brought this about? You know, they knew at the end of every one of our arguments, no, it wasn't my fault. Um, Mom and dad were just having a disagreement. And the, and the end result is, is that they love each other and they want to do what Christ is calling them to do. And I think it was that transparency that really gave uh, both my son and my daughter solid ground uh, to grow on and to see that, yeah, mom and dad make mistakes but they also forgive and, uh, and they love each other. And I think in doing that, we, we demonstrate, you know, we allowed them to catch more than what we could have said by virtually sitting them down and saying, this is the way you got to be. Um, if, if you're not living it out in front of them, a lot of times what you're teaching them really doesn't matter a whole lot to them. You know, kids, I, I think kids these days are no different than kids in the past. Uh, hypocrisy is not something that you really grab onto what you grab onto is when people are real. And, uh, thankfully, I, you know, um, one of the other things I wanted to mention when I married, when I, when I married Dawn, I told her from the very beginning that I had a discipline policy in place and, uh, our discipline policy was going to be this, that we would only correct our children for the violation of disobedience and disrespect. And the way that we would correct them if we, if we were going to use corporal punishment in that manner, uh, they would have to put their hands on the counter and we would swat their bottom with a wooden spoon three times, no more than three times. We could show mercy and go two or one, but it never exceeded three swats. Um, and I told her, I said, this, you know, that concept of having to count to 20 in your head is not going to happen for my kids. So they knew whenever they did something wrong, the, the, the worst that was going to happen was they were going to get a wooden spoon swat on their backside uh, for three swats. And we never did it in anger. In fact, I would often tell them to go put their hands on the counter and I would wait. And one time while, while I was in, uh, you know, I was said I was uh, going to school and working UPS, I could literally fall asleep in a second. Um, and I told Nathan to put his hands on the counter for uh, uh, some disobedience that he had uh, done. And he went out there and did it. And I kind of dozed off. And about a half hour later, Nathan calls my name and I wake up and I'm like, yep, what do you want, son? He goes, are you going to come spank me? Literally a half hour later, he had his hands on the counter that long waiting to be spanked. And obviously the mercy of the Lord hit, my, hit me when I thought about that. And I said, no, I think you've learned your lesson, son. You can, you can walk away. Um, but I bring that up to say this. Our children knew what the rules were in our house. There was no doubt. They knew that if they were going to get corrected, how they were going to be corrected. And they also knew that they would never be corrected without it. They would never be corrected in anger. It always hurt me to have to spank my my kids. And um, I think 
I think a, a parent should be worried if that's never the case. Amen. Uh, whenever I had to correct my kids, it wasn't something that was fun for me to do. It was something that I thought was necessary in order to change a response that they were having that I thought was harmful for them. But the whole, the whole thing of me doing it was not a, a joyful thing for me to do. And, uh, and after, every time after correcting them, uh, we would always call them back to us. We probably weren't as faithful to this as what I saw Dawn's father was, um, but we would always call them back to this and, and to them, them to us and remind them uh, why we did that and how much that we loved them. And I think that's the things that we need to do as dads. We need to, first off, I think we need to take responsibility that the whole reason God has given us that authority is to show our children who he is. Amen. And we do that in, in word and in deed. And secondly, is to, to raise them up as best as we can to know the Lord, to love the Lord, and to be good citizens in the society that we live in. And that's, that's what I just pray fathers who are listening to this uh, will be perhaps challenged and maybe even convicted or maybe even encouraged. Is that what I'm doing with my children? Am I doing what God's called me to do? Uh, am I using my authority for the purpose that he's called me to have it for? And, uh, and if not, then maybe make some corrections to do so. Amen. Amen. You reminded me of another old phrase talking about our childhood and things that we would hear. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And, uh, I didn't believe that when I was a child, but of course now as a, as a father and, and I'll be honest with you, most of my children, we also practiced corporal punishment. Most of my children, three of my children required almost no spanking. Just the very idea of a spanking for two of my children was enough. Uh, and even like Elijah, when he was small, he was more upset that he, that he had disappointed his parents than he was about the spanking. The spanking didn't even seem to matter to him so much as the fact that he had disappointed dad just broke his little heart. And so, man, that made discipline so easy for him. And even with my eldest son, he, he's the one that got the most spankings as a child. Part of the, t- the reason he was getting spankings because I was not interpreting his uh, personality and his body language correctly. And uh, so I liked what you said about disciplining for very specific reasons, disobedience, disrespect. I would add to that lying. Um, but absolutely. Let me conclude by, by saying this. You know, Jesus said to uh, the religious leaders of his day, you are of your father, the devil, and his works you will do. And of course, they would say, no, we have Abraham as our father. You know, and of course, we know theologically that we are uh, descendants of Adam and we have Adam's nature. But regardless of whether we have a good human father or bad human father, God is our father. He has taken us. You know, Jesus Christ is made the everlasting father. He has taken us and now we are his and we are safe in him. And uh, this is, as you have pointed out, Mike, this is ultimately the whole point of fatherhood. And I believe why fatherhood is under, under such attack and has been for a long time and the family under such attack and masculinity under such attack, because this is something Satan wants to destroy. Because if he can destroy the whole concept, then obviously someone turning to the father in repentance and faith for salvation uh, becomes a, a very difficult concept altogether. So thank you so much, both of you guys today for joining me on this topic. So uh, hopefully, by God's grace, this will reach out to some men 
and be a blessing and an encouragement to them. You know, some men may look at their life and say, man, I'm not accomplishing anything. You know, I'm not, I don't have a great career. I haven't made a lot of money or I don't have a high position, but hold on just a second. Have you fathered children? And I don't just mean biological, but you know, my wife has a biological father that I've never met. My children have never met. Uh, We don't have any interactions with him at all. And we actually made that choice. We could have had those interactions. And and I'm not saying we made the right choice, but we chose to honor the practical, actual fatherhood of her stepfather who adopted her when she was small. He did invest in her and behaved very honorably. And so we made a decision before we even got married. He has done the work of a father and we're going to honor that. The, the, the sperm donor that was his, you know, that was his predecessor and that was the, the biological contributor to this for us doesn't, it doesn't even matter. And it's just like, it doesn't matter that Adam was my father and I have his nature. It doesn't matter that Satan was my father. God is my father and he is fathering me and I want to honor him. And uh, so for better, or for worse, that's kind of the uh, experience that, that I'm familiar with. And, and hopefully we can offer some help to, to people through what God has brought us through as men as we put this broadcast out. Again, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Grace or Grit. Uh, I'm Dave Talley, and I pray God's richest blessing on both of you men and your ministries as well as your families and uh, upon our listeners as well. May we all serve our Heavenly Father well today and every day and honor Him.